0: this is the oanda podcast brought to you by jazz fm's business breakfast welcome back to the oanda market insights podcast each week we review the stories that made the market and business headlines with oanda senior market analyst craig earlham and this week we're joined by oanda market analyst in new york ed moyer to look back on another dramatic week
1: a government that cannot get its business through the house of commons is no government at all. It's lost its mandate, so must go to the country to seek another.
0: In the event that our future relationship or alternative arrangements are not ready by the end of 2020, Parliament will have a vote on whether to seek to extend the implementation period or bring the backstop into effect. We will be leaving the European Union on the 29th of March. I want us to leave the European Union on the 29th of March with a good deal that's on the table. This is a choice between right and wrong, justice and injustice. This is about whether we fulfill our sacred duty to the American citizens we serve. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig in London and Ed in New York. How are you doing, guys? I'm doing really good. Great to be on. Let's start with the bounce back we saw this week, Craig. Calm seems to have returned to markets. What do you think is behind this sentiment more positive signs for the global economy maybe or do you think markets were just too pessimistic in december and this is a return to good sense
1: I think both of what you've just said is completely accurate, to be quite honest, and the later we got into December, the more that pessimism seemed to be creeping in. It was almost as if uh, we were just reconfirming old positions based on no particular new news. This time last week, we were sat in this seat and we were talking about how good that jobs report was, and it was a, a very good jobs report for December. I'm not convinced we'll see the same in January and February, but it was a very good December jobs report. And that's when the market rally seemed to start. That's where we saw that bounce back kick in again. It actually really started straight after Christmas. We had a nice little rally in the markets into the new year. And then, like I said, we had a little bit of a pullback at the start. Last Friday, we saw that nice little bounce after the jobs report, and that was followed then by comments from uh, Jay Powell, the the Fed chair, who suggested that again that the Fed is going to be extremely flexible and that they are listening, they are paying attention to the markets and they will respond accordingly, effectively uh, pulling away from the hawkish rhetoric uh, that he was uh, alluding to back at the start of October and has edged away from ever since. But this has had a real big impact across the market. We're looking at equity markets. Yeah, we've had a really good bounce since then. I think we've had now five consecutive days of gains and today we're wavering a little bit. We've seen movements elsewhere. The gold has pulled back from $1,300 where it is approaching, although I'm still bullish on gold for reasons which we'll come to shortly. Uh, There's been impacts on the dollar across markets. We've seen a lot of volatility this week, but most importantly, and I think the biggest takeaway from this is risk appetite has very much returned.
0: Yeah, as you said, there's several drivers to this shift in sentiment. We'll talk more about US-China uh, trade talks in a minute, but there are more positivity there. And after those comments, those Fed minutes and the comments from Jay Powell, expectations that the US Fed uh, will pause rate hikes, and there are favourable corporate earnings predictions as well. Would you agree with that, Ed?
2: Very much so. I think the, uh, the minutes painted a very clear picture that the Fed officials are less certain about the timing and the size of future rate hikes. Everyone is basically now taking a look at the interest rate probabilities and the chance of a hike right now at, in the summertime, it's the highest we are looking at our 20% chance. And when we take a look at expectations uh, at the beginning of next year, you know we're starting to see that the probability of a cut is greater then for possibly a hike. So there's the dovish message has been cemented. You know, we, we're, we're seeing the all the Fed officials following with their comments and uh, everyone is now pretty much on the same page, it appears. And um, you also do have China who, you know, did have their uh, triple R cut at the, the beginning of the year about a week ago. So we're seeing definitely a uh, more accommodative behavior from the two largest economies, and that's been uh, very supportive for uh, the equity markets.
1: It's been really instant in markets recently. I love this idea that people, some people, seem to have that the markets are entirely rational. Uh, I do think the markets do price things in relatively well, but. In between those periods markets can be incredibly irrational and uh, me and ed were speaking last week and uh all the other colleagues as well who uh, have been on the show in the past and there was one point i think it was last week or just slightly earlier maybe the week before when the markets were in my view at the most irrational and they, they were pricing in more chances um albeit only one percent of three rate cuts this year than one single rate hike which was priced in zero percent it was uh markets can be extremely irrational at times and i think that's very much been the case over christmas i do think we are seeing this kind of return and the fed speak of course is is certainly helping that but somewhere the markets and the fed are going to meet in the middle because i think the fed was over ambitious with its rate hike uh, cycle this year they are becoming more in line and i think the markets are slowly moving that way too but it's not been all good news has it across
0: the pond guys we've got the U.S government partial shutdown continuing President Donald Trump who we heard a little bit earlier on renewing uh, a threat to declare a national emergency to fund the construction of uh, of the wall on the Mexican border and although I, I've looked at some statistics, And it's not costing quite as much as people may imagine. Economists estimate the shutdown is likely to shave between about 0.04% and 0.07% of GDP off economic growth per week. So that's an average of just over $1 billion a week. But it's a bit of a headache nonetheless. And uh, Ed, I think you'll agree, something needs to be done as soon as possible to end this.
2: Very much so. We're on 20 days, nine hours, and 49 minutes into this shutdown, and I, I think what's really going to grab the president's attention is that the shutdown is going to put in jeopardy the uh, longest stretch of continuous job growth that the U.S. has seen. Uh, the streak of 99 months, you know, could come to an end. Where with the 800,000 workers that are looking, uh, hopefully, to see this resolve soon, you know, we're we're, we're going to see roughly. I think it's about just under 400,000 that would hurt that number for uh, the next employment report. So uh, the expectations are that, you know, typically these partial government shutdowns, they last anywhere from one to three weeks. Uh, The longest one on record was just over a month. As both sides seem firmly maintaining their their stances, uh, you know, eventually, uh, politically, it is something that um, we will have to see uh, someone... Break and um, right right now um, uh, the uh, the expectations are that uh, uh, it's just going to be a political mess and that's why many are now believing that the president will you know invoke emergency powers which will make this a legal nightmare. The uncertainty is growing so the effects to the to the economic data um, is, is 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 likely to become more relevant the longer it goes. but there is an expectation though that this will be wrapped up you know within the next let's say a couple of weeks and I think the president canceling his trip to Davos was just a calculated move, he would not want to miss that opportunity. So I I would not be surprised if we did see this uh, somehow partially resolved.
1: I think one of my favourite things about uh, this week was the report today, actually, um, advising – this is from the US Coast Guard, uh, and, and it was from the uh, the Washington Post and other outlets which suggest that there is some credibility to this, saying that US Coast Guard offered some helpful advice to those 800,000 people who have been affected by the shutdown itself who are going without pay, on ways to get by without it, uh, so these people can uh, consider holding a garage sale, babysitting, dog walking, or serving as a mystery shopper. So it's not all doom and gloom. There is other options to help deal with this, uh, uh, to go without pay, and probably, I'd I'd, I'd argue, the worst month of the year. There is
0: some positive news for Donald Trump this week, because the US uh, trade talks with China, there's a a lot more positivity in the air.
2: Very much so. We did see the two days of talks become extended to three. I think one of the the key takeaways is that we are starting to see some concessions from China, uh, some progress being made on the forced uh, technology transfer issues there is um, some growing optimism that we are going to eventually see a framework deal arranged uh, China has been um, committing to more purchases uh, and it, it's it's been something that has been well you know received as you could see uh, we did see uh, some of the um, stronger stock market buying days supported by um, the trade stories
1: I think that's definitely been a supporting factor this week and as I alluded to earlier it's not just been the the equity markets which have been buoyed by this kind of news it's had impacts across the wider markets. We have to remember that uh, back six months ago we were seeing big moves in the u s dollar on the back of the escalation of this trade spat between the u s and china and the dollar was one of the biggest beneficiaries of this and the reason being or the reason that was uh, argued for this uh, was the fact that in a trade war when you 've got a, a large deficit country against a large surplus country then when you're imposing tariffs of the likes, both countries are likely to lose out, but the large surplus country is likely to lose out more so than the other. Uh, And this is very much the view that was taken here, and the dollar was benefiting as a result against the Chinese Yuan, but also other currencies as well, where countries could become embroiled in this. And what we're effectively now seeing is the unwinding of this. So as these trade talks progress, and as Ed alluded to, two days turns into three, the commentary from trump uh, on twitter has been positive although you would expect that but it's actually been supported as well by the chinese foreign ministry who have uh, claimed the talks are going very well as this moves you are going to see the unwinding of those uh, of those ch- uh, trades as well and that's why we are seeing the dollar pulling back and it's not just having an impact on the currency markets and of course the dollar is the most liquid currency we it, so it has an impact across many currency pairs dollar yen being a prime example of that but we're also seeing that having, therefore, an impact on the commodity markets because commodities are priced in dollars. So gold has been well supported. So even though risk appetite's returning, which you would think would be negative for gold, the ultimate safe haven, we're actually seeing gold trade towards $1,300 because the dollar has been weak. And because gold is priced in dollars, when it's weak, then gold tends to be well supported. And that's exactly what we're seeing.
0: Apologies for moving to this side of the Atlantic, guys, but I'm afraid we're going to have to talk about it at some point in this podcast. Though, uh, I wanted to start with Jaguar Land Rover, though, because it does have a China connection. Big job losses at Jaguar Land Rover, and there probably will be more. And we're going to see the car industry across the world affected for all sorts of reasons. But I was interested in this story particularly because... Rather than it just being about Brexit or even the demise of diesel, the Chinese economy has played a big part in these problems at Jaguar Land Rover and the, the numbers of people that are out of work.
1: Five thousand of the forty thousand workforces is looking like it's a sizable their number, job. isn't it's a, it? It's, it's yeah. not a small number of the workforce in the UK. This is massive news, understandably. And like you say, we many people will point to Brexit and say that this isn't a coincidence, and it's not. It may be Brexit. You could argue is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Others would suggest that it's just clutching at straws. I think the other two factors are much more significant. Jaguar Land Rover, I think it's 90% of the cars they produce are diesel engines. That is not a coincidence at a time when people are becoming much more uh, savvy about what they're driving and much more versed to driving a car that's seen as being so damaging to the environment the China thing I think is the biggest factor in this I think was it this week that China reported a 19% decline in car sales in the previous month that is huge and that is in a market where I believe we're seeing subsidies being removed uh, which again is affecting demand uh, for cars as well it just seems to be the perfect storm right now for these car manufacturers uh, and Jaguar Land Rover seems to be bearing a, a heavy uh, a heavy burden now uh, from all of these factors combining at once, but it's very bad news for the UK. Is the car industry in the United
0: States uh, as affected by this, Ed? I, I, I think probably not.
2: Uh, not so much. I, I believe GM um, also had a, a raising of their guidance today. Uh, it, the... Trade war is a lot of it depends on where your cars are manufactured. So if they're built in uh, Canada or in Asia, um, you, you are seeing some effect. Uh, the 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 major car players, though, in, in the U.S., um, they have been pummeled because of uh, just the, the demand for U.S. vehicles is still not as strong as it is for uh, the foreign cars. Um and 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 also also too, what we are starting to see is uh, when we take a look at the consumer credit numbers, uh, we are still still seeing Americans uh, they they are putting a lot of their money towards loans and also to uh, financing uh, vehicles. So you you, you do st- still see a need for that. And uh, the, while while some of the stock performances for some of the U.S. equities um, car manufacturers are have not been too strong, uh, the the demand is still there, and uh, we are we are still seeing uh, um, that sector be pretty much pummeled um, for um, many other reasons.
1: Yeah, just to clarify, I've got my figures mixed up there. It's a six percent decline in 2018 rather than a 19 percent decline. I think that relates to a slightly different story. But yeah, six percent decline in 2018 in Chinese car sales, and they're not the and it's not only Jaguar Land Rover as well, which we've seen in the headlines this week, that has been affected by uh, weak consumer demand for cars. Ford uh, as well um, has been in the headlines talking about job losses across Europe uh, in order to try and uh, refocus its efforts in what is again a challenging market for the auto industry let's turn to brexit uh, inevitably the
0: pound is up today on reports that it will be delayed beyond March the 29th it's obvious that mrs. May the Prime Minister for how much longer we don't know will be defeated on Tuesday so markets are definitely betting on a delay do you think that is fair Craig to assume that this is going to be what happens we're going to go beyond that date
1: I think it's looking highly likely uh, or at least far more likely than it was at this stage. Because yes, we've got this vote on Tuesday. If it goes ahead, I still think there's a possibility that may cancels it if she thinks it's going to result in another in a, in a humiliating defeat, which is what was the case last time. I'm still a bit bitter that she lost the uh, the conf that she won the confidence vote right at the end of the year and ruined my prediction. Yes, but, if anybody hey,
0: listening, <laughs> Craig did predict that she'd be gone by December the 31st. So and I was wrong. good to see you wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very bitter.
1: It's looking like there's a, strong, there's a much stronger chance that it's going to be extended. The chance are it's not going to be extended though past May because we do have the European Parliament elections towards the end of May. So I think if there is an extension, it's only going to be a couple of months. But you've got to imagine what we can do in a couple of months. In a couple of months, we can have a general election uh, and we can have a second referendum. And I think that's the important point here because if Theresa May's vote fails, then... You are going to see a challenge to the government, or you will likely see a challenge for the government. It's been a lot more t- talked about, a lot more now by Corbyn uh, and others, uh, suggesting that a change of power may dramatically shift these Brexit negotiations. Surely there she
0: are. would resign before there's a chance of a second referendum or, or an election.
1: Well, I think an election it wouldn't be. Maybe she would resign if she thought that, that this was something that they would lose. But again, if the government lost a vote of no confidence with the DUP siding with the other parties, then they would still have, I think, it's three weeks to form a new government before an election became the outcome. And in that interim, she could then resign uh, and allow another leader to try and convince the DUP that they have them on their side and that they will look after them in these negotiations and a second referendum as well. This would be, this would be the result of. Parliament grabbing back power as we've seen examples of uh, this week uh, on two occasions with the two votes that she did lose The one of which was relating to preventing her trying to prevent her uh, going down the road of a no-deal Brexit Which is only which is sketchy as to how successful it is and the other reducing the time that she has to um, To come back to Parliament with a plan B from three weeks down to uh, three days, so that's a significant uh, loss from her perspective as well if, if these things do happen, then yeah, you wonder how she can possibly stay in the job. But it's looking increasingly likely that we are just going through this checklist of events that ends up with a Theresa May-style May deal. Because I still don't understand, looking at this Norway Plus option, how this is better. Uh, uh, because it's still do, there's no way that this Norway Plus option is going to... Come with this ability to give 12 months notice before exiting the uh, exiting this because why would the EU agree to this when they won't agree to Theresa May's terms? So yeah, I think it's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be quite interesting. To be fair, <laughs>
0: what's the view at the moment from across the Atlantic, Ed, on uh, our troubles here in the United Kingdom?
2: The first thing that we're looking at is cable, and it is amazing how resilient it has been. It's been uh, it's trading right around 128, and despite i don't I don't think there's a single analyst that is calling for uh, this vote to pass uh, on Tuesday. As Craig outlined all the potential scenarios, the general consensus here is that we will, you know see some type of deal. Maybe it'll get extended. There is still a belief that uh, you know we will eventually see a soft Brexit and uh, eventually brighter times for the the u k. economy. There's still a lot of uh, political gamesmanship here to be played, and the story is far from over. And and unfortunately, uh, the Brexit story will probably go on and on and on for years. And we're not necessarily um, expect the the vote to pass, but uh, there is um some... uh, belief that uh, if it's not that bad of a defeat, uh, that you know we we, we could still see uh, may uh, survive this as she's she has been fairly resilient over the last year.
1: Yeah, the pound's been very resilient, but I think we have to remember that the the market has to price in the risk of No Deal Brexit, and I think that's why that's one thing that's kind of um, that there's kind of. Off, uh, keeping the uh, the the pound from maybe rising more because the uh, the opposition is really chipping away at the no deal options, but it's still a risk, and therefore we can't really see it uh, move too much higher. But then equally, the chances of a no deal Brexit are slim, and we keep talking about this accidental no deal Brexit. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if two thirds, if not more, of MPs in Parliament are, are strongly against no deal Brexit. And the UK, as the ECJ, the European Court of Justice ruled, has the ability to unilaterally withdraw Article 50 if it so wishes, and the EU is against the no deal Brexit. The idea that we could all accidentally fall into no deal Brexit seems absurd to me because even if we hit the 29th of March, the UK could still then withdraw Article 50 and no deal Brexit doesn't happen. So I think the market has to price in the potential for no deal Brexit. I just don't see how we get to a point where we enter into that with so much opposition to it.
0: Okay. On that note, we're going to have to leave it there. Craig Erlem in London and Ed Moyer in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to the Oanda Market Insights podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a very good week.